wonderful. Well, welcome to the podcast. Cool, man. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we'll start where everybody else starts. Um, as early memories as we can go to about middle school, uh, what were you into uh, as a kid? Wow. I, I mean, I could go even earlier, but about the middle school age. So I grew up in Houston area. Mm-hmm. And as many of you, hopefully listeners know, I mean, Texas is known for football. Yep. If you've seen Friday Night Lights, and I'm talking about the movie, not the TV show, <laughs> then that was very representative of the the culture in which I was raised. So at mm-hmm. that point, it was it was all football and just getting into the weightlifting scene. Even in and, middle school. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um I remember, yeah, learning to bench press in sixth grade. And then by seventh grade, we had our formal, formal weightlifting. And football was a class in Texas. So when we weren't practicing it was training, sprinting, yeah. doing these things. I couldn't tell you the quality of the training, but mm-hmm. I mean, old school, rusty barbell introduction to the bench press incline. I mean, I recall our circuit. We probably did the same circuit every single weight room session. No squatting, mm-hmm. middle school, probably because the coaches couldn't teach it. <laughs> and the the extent of the coaching was a dude sitting in a desk, reading a magazine, and then freaking 50 plus kids just going to town on bench press, bicep curls, ab circuits, just that general, general approach. I remember the probably a very impactful moment. So we we bench pressed, we all maxed out. I remember my first ever bench press max out was 65 pounds. Nice. And the cutoff. So we all maxed out and then probably trained for, I can't remember, it was two weeks or four weeks. Everybody worked out. But mm-hmm. since we had so many kids and numbers, they had to make cuts, even with the weightlifting for the off season. Yeah. And 85 pound bench press. If you were under 85 pounds, you were going to be defensive back, cornerback, and all these little skill positions, and you did nothing but run. So. Ooh. First bench press ever was 65 pounds. And then the second, I got 20 pounds stronger and hit the 85-pound <laughs> mark and then actually got to lift weights. I can't tell you how different my life would be if I didn't hit yeah. that 85 and would just be a little, little speedster. Yeah, hit, hitting the uh, hitting the goals when you're young. So you mentioned you did much more before middle school. What what were things before middle school as well? I, I, was, I was the youngest brother of... Four, I have four older sisters and then eventually a younger sister, probably, okay. I mean, 11 years younger than I. So some would call an accident, but I mean, the only boy. So at that point, it was running around the neighborhood looking for trouble mm-hmm. and other other kids to play with. Man, so all kinds of trouble, BB guns, just reckless abandon. And I mean, I appreciated the time because, you know, it was get the hell out of the house and do right. whatever. Yeah. Like get on your bike. You were gone mm-hmm. until, and fortunately, like Houston area, there's plenty of bayous and just neighborhoods with fun sanctuary style stuff that mm-hmm. you can honestly get lost in and then get back to life and dinner and nobody knew you where the hell you were yeah. or gone. And then boom. So, so that was, yeah, family mm-hmm. and uh, always fitness and movement and just activity 
And that certainly has carried over now into my professional career for sure. And what I speak to on a daily basis. Absolutely. Now, did you see that uh, your parents had a huge influence on the sports or activities or are they more so just, hey, go do something? No, I'm, my father. So he was, he ran a marathon. He worked out very fitness centric and big time golfer. Okay. And he instilled golf into my sisters and I. One was natural. She was incredible and I hated losing to her. So I just found other outlets through sport. But he was, I mean, took us to Astros games, base uh, football games Mm -hmm. and followed his fandom for as long as I could until developed my own within the own, the Houston teams. He was from East Coast. So I had his sport affiliation. So followed his footsteps a little bit until just, man, Houston sports certainly took over and they, I mean, weren't good, but you got to go and experience them. I right. think that that locked in my my fandom and affiliation and then desire to continue to play sport into college was just the, you could argue, the, the passion that my, my father connected with sport and experience right. and just being a part of it all for sure so we're, we're we're in middle school and we're benching and whatnot what does the programming look like after you're able to get that eight, 85 pound bench oh, it, it circuit i remember just the the layout of the the weight room it was bench press into a bicep series so imagine five stations all the same exercises bench press to biceps to inclined bench press mm-hmm. And then more arm work and then abs. And I think some form of other extra shoulder something in front of the mirror. Yeah. So six stations and you just tick on down the line. Yep. And no squatting until the the rising freshman before um before high school. Okay. So, did, so then was anybody explaining to you why you were doing these movements or why it was important or just go do it? Just go do it. I mean, yeah. they all, here's the thing is they always made us look up and I think it's important. They made us aim up. So we would go and watch. We were encouraged to go watch the high school teams. Oh, okay. So smaller middle schools would feed up into single high schools. Mm-hmm. And so you were always encouraged to go and how Texas sports at least football yeah. is set up is the middle school runs the same offense and defense scheme. So like a shell, same play vernacular. So you're getting the same language. That's a smart, the move. same base plays. So then when I go up to my freshman year, I have a, a, a similar understanding and model for them to progress. And then as I go up from freshman a B team and a sophomore and a JV and then finally varsity. It's the same language of movement. And we've been playing together and running the same plays. Yeah. Uh, so we have, we are ready to then compete as a varsity unit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different schools that do it a hell of a lot better, yeah. especially against us. So that was, that was something, but just that understanding and the power of words and repetition and then teamwork camaraderie and feel for one another that that translated up to to a college career i ended up playing lacrosse in college i didn't have the size Mm -hmm. uh, or skill really to play any college ball even d3 so found another opportunity through 
through training and movement to then project me. But it was the same attitude of lift weights, run as fast as you can and play your sport right. from that middle and high school Texas football mentality that I was able to take into the sport of lacrosse and success on the East Coast with mm. that. Had, had you been playing any lacrosse while in Texas or growing up in high school or did you do any other sports? Well, the we started our own lacrosse team in Texas. Okay. So the the Houston area, specifically Katy, which is west, like small town outside of Houston, we there was two high schools in town, uh, Katy, who won the state championship every year, and then us, Katie Taylor. So Katie Taylor, we got our dicks kicked in a lot. I don't know <laughs> if I can curse on here. Yeah, no, that's but fine. <laughs> Andy, Andy Dalton was the quarterback for Katie. I so know very that good <laughs> professional. There you go. And so they were, they were a farm. They're good. Mm-hmm. And our, our school, they wanted to compete. Okay. And this is the craziness of uh, Texas high school sports. Parents from all over the region would buy like a PO box mail address in the Katy high school area so that they could claim like, air quotes, residency. live residency, and then get their kid to go play for this football team. And I don't know how far they're driving. So we were this freaking stepchild just getting our, our asses kicked by them. And my rising, let's see, so- sophomore, sophomore team, then JV. So my my junior year, the coaching staff at Kate, Katie Taylor, they decided to forego my my class, our junior class, and invest in the sophomores underneath us. Okay. So they took these sophomores and they put them on varsity to then compete at a higher speed and intensity and level. Yeah. So then by the time these sophomores were seniors, they'd have one, two years underneath their belt and they'd be able to compete against the state champion. So they neglected us. They decided the performance for my friends and I and we weren't too happy or excited about it because, I mean, we were a team. Yeah. We were close. And we decided to take performance into our own hands. And we started a lacrosse team. Wow. And five of the 10 of us went on to go play in college. And, yeah, we, I mean, That's defined. Yeah, we defined our own performance. And I encourage any athletes out there not to accept any roles that coaches try to put on you. And I uh, I can only speak to how it is in Texas. I mean, these yeah. coaches, it is their life. It is their career. So they are making decisions to keep their job. Right. But, you know, they, they just told a whole class of kids to F off and we didn't like it. So <laughs> fortunately, we found a fun loving coach in our area to, to teach us the game. But we had the intangibles to be athletes, football players with sticks and go figure this sport out. And I mean, when I got to the East Coast, it was a whole different ball game because mm-hmm. it was more finesse than yeah. the the football was a stick that I played. But I was able to be a an outlier and still use my head as a weapon and play the sport just differently enough. I could make an impact on the team that I found. Mm-hmm. So how how did it transfer over for you? When like in those first couple of games, what was it like? Were you playing competition? Was there any other lacrosse there? What what did that look like? Uh, we so there was no other team in Katy. There were uh, less than ten in the Houston area at this point. This is 
2002, 2003. Now it's, now it's huge. It's yeah. blown up, uh, fortunately. But we, it took us some time to grasp the transition yeah. for plenty of funny, hilarious F-ups on our part in our first tournament ever. We didn't understand. Similar, it's imagine lacrosse. It is a mixture of soccer, basketball, and hockey. Okay. And similarly to basketball, you cannot move when you set a pick. So you got to get in people's way and be a statue and stand still. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't quite get to that lesson before entering our first tournament. And the full our fullback on our team, <laughs> a player picks up a ball, starts sprinting downfield, going the other direction, and our fullback sees this as an opportunity. Just he falls to the level of his instincts, and he just trucks and hammers these two kids before. The ref literally is blowing the whistle to stop the game, has to go up and, and bear hug this kid to get him to stop. <laughs> like he's got to see stripes grasping yeah. him to stop him because he just was freaking be the hammer on these two kids because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. He's like, all right, we're going the other way. <laughs> uh, and then another hilarious moment, one of our, our long poles. So in lacrosse, you get a penalty and there's a play on. So say if I hit you in the head with my stick, yep. you keep on playing if you still have possession of the ball. Okay, so advantage. So, right. So one, ed, one of our defenders hits this kid in the head and thinks, okay, well, I got one penalty. I can't get another. So then he just continues to wail illegally and then gets five penalties in, in the span of 15 seconds and then gets thrown out of the game because there's a five-penalty limit. <laughs> so he didn't even know what the hell – like he did wrong. So yeah. it, there was some hilarious learning curves looking back. And, and I mean, nothing can replace the, the freaking Mighty Ducks style shenanigans, just the freaking bad news bears nonsense experience that we had. Like we weren't supposed to win at all, but we put together, I think, eight wins that first season and made wow. the playoffs. So it was, yeah, I mean, we so, just played a physical game, yeah. So that that is that kind of what kind of took you guys over is you guys would just run over other teams and that's kind of transferred very well for you. It, we we out athleted the teams and this is an unfortunate because that that first two years we had a fun fun window because these football coaches they didn't care about us and we we got to express athleticism. So a couple of guys when they got the chance to play varsity their athleticism increased tenfold because now we were splitting, dodging, working on change of direction instead yeah. of this one thing. So they, you know, now started at running back for the varsity the next year and could a credit, they could give credit to the sport of lacrosse for teaching them these fundamentals of movement and change direction and power and speed. Yeah. Where they were not getting from our training in football. The bicep in- curls weren't weren't doing it for yeah. them. <laughs> No, it, it was inherent within the sport that helped them find success. And that after that first two years, when football coaches finally started to take notice in the growth, because we, we were winning, we created a culture of winning in just two years that Katie Taylor was not used to because yeah. it was losing football culture. So I didn't have any little brothers, but my, my boys did. So their little brothers saw this, joined the team, started to play. And unfortunate that like we would return home for alumni games from school and hear the horror stories where 
kids were given ultimatums with this new sport to say, okay, if you play lacrosse, you're not going to start at quarterback. If you play lacrosse, you will not be the starting point guard on the team. So sport coaches, football and basketball that were formerly with the school. Yeah. Technically, this was a club sport. Okay. So non, non UIL. Got it. But there's big club presence, ice hockey in Texas, lacrosse in Texas, very club centric and heavy. Mm-hmm. You just use the school's names, but you're just paying club dues. Yeah. Versus formal where the, you got to buy your own equipment versus the school buying your football pads, for example. But so we started to see this pressure or hear about it from our little brothers for football coaches abusing their power. And then, you know, it sucks because then the kids were listening. So they'd right. sit out their sophomore or junior year of lacrosse. And then finally, when they get to senior and football season's over, they're like, man, screw this and go play the spring sport of lacrosse. Yeah. And realized, man, that was fun. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it was an unfortunate. And now the, like we, we started that team in Katie. Now there's a Katie consolidated team. So all the high schools, they come together to be one lacrosse team mm-hmm. versus like the, the one we started through. Right. Taylor. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, you're doing lacrosse. Did you ever see that lacrosse in college was going to be an option or how did that kind of come, come up there? The, I, I didn't view it as a possibility. I knew I wanted to continue some form of team, anything yeah. really. And I mean, I, I wasn't the best student per se. So the real, the reality of going to UT or Texas A&M or any of the big schools in Texas, it, it wasn't a yeah. reality. Uh, but my, my oldest sister, she, she had gone to school on the East Coast and then her boyfriend at the time, now husband, he, he played lacrosse in college. Cool. So I, I didn't realize that there, there was more to this sport because my, my vision of college sport was so limited to football and basketball. Mm-hmm. So a, a possibility was created through that, that relationship. And eventually he, small, small enough world, ended up being one of my college coaches down the line. So yeah, that, that possibility was created and just being being an athlete with a freaking hard nose yeah. then then I was able to you know take that take that opportunity to turn it into education. Mm-hmm. So I glanced over this question but so since you're playing football doing lacrosse all that activity what did your nutrition or food look like uh going going through high school? Pretty pretty terrible. Yeah. Um Man, chocolate, lots of chocolate milk, eating the cafeteria food, zero mm-hmm. knowledge. Yeah. And I mean, parents didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah, just eat to eat versus eating for performance right. or health or any of that. It was uh, a lot of the general assumptions that are expressed and taught to general population. We took to heart, you know, lots of pasta pregame. Yeah, I remember like our football pregame meals used to go to freaking CC's buffet pizza. <laughs> like you got to carve up. Yeah. So, I mean, just taking all of the general advice, aiming at performance right. and health, but 
not to the level of the point where I would ever recommend right now. For sure. And then what 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 did you feel that your relationship with food was? Did you look at it positively, negatively, or it kind of just was? Uh, it just was. Yeah. I mean, my my sisters were always super naturally small, petite, and even the the athletic ones. I mean, we we didn't have to try right for it, and we weren't. Uh, yeah, weren't overweight, but we're making no connection to weight and mm-hmm. nutrition. It was just eating to eat until you're full, and then that's it. And yeah. then I got to eat the most since I was the the growing boy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, no social pressures with food. No, um, external influence like that. It was just pretty, pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Um freaking food pyramid approach is assuming what we were learning or being taught or yeah. fed pun intended was correct. Mm-hmm. So we're, uh, we're making it to college. Were you looking at for any type of schooling or once again, just mainly for, I want to play a sport, uh, in school. No, I mainly play a sport in school. And I start my first semester. I was a psychology major for the sole purpose of understanding how I could empower my mental performance on the field and through some interesting i i would call it now passive aggressive conversations with my father showing me different salary professions and rankings and how low psychology was on there you know saying but not saying and then after a semester i actually applied to the business school at my university and uh didn't get in. I didn't realize that there were these different schools within the school. Just mm-hmm. my my mindset was all on sport. Yeah. And at that point, it's like, what the hell? Uh, what do I want to do? And I like running as fast as I can, lifting weights, and playing my sport. So my university, Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia, had health a health sciences major. So I was like, all right. So after that, then that second semester started the the curriculum to take on health sciences. Again, general, nothing too fancy or crazy within there. But at the same time, you got to learn about a passion versus making assumptions or taking a, a fitness magazine's word for right. it. Right. Um, so when joining the doing lacrosse and going into college, what did your training regiment look like as opposed to what you were doing before for football yeah well i took on that same training regimen because we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach we didn't have a weight room mm-hmm. it was a it was a fitness center that was shared by the athletic department and the student body okay uh, we had a smith machine and i worked with the assistant coach at the time so he was coaching at both high school and college lacrosse okay. just aiming aiming to make do but we were able to secure a squat rack from his high school nice old rusty piece of junk that they were throwing <laughs> out yeah and I, the beauty of a small school is you can almost do whatever you want as long as you have a will so we just went into the fitness center and brought this thing in moved some rearranged the whole the whole one side of the room that wasn't fitness machines, yeah. the cardio, and put the first ever squat rack in the the weight room. Nice. And then took on the responsibility of teaching the rest, of the, whoever wanted to lift weights with me, 
how to lift weights. Very cool. Was was it correct? From what I remember, absolutely not. But at the same time, I mean, out of, out of a team of, of 30 kids, right. we're talking four or five and all for aesthetic reasons. Anyone that joined me was for aesthetic reasons or they were a football player as well. Mm-hmm. Just it, it was. Yeah. It, it was part of their life, what they were used to. So, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, let's just do this. But in terms of program, I actually, this is a terrible idea as well. I had pals that went on to University of Texas to play football yeah, and just asked for their program. Hey, what are you guys doing? So then they would email, email me over uh, Mad Dog. So Jeff Madden, strength and conditioning coach for University of Texas for a long time, emailed me over his program. And this this is the year that they won the national championship. So Vince Young versus Reggie Bush. All right. So I was doing the Texas championship football strength and conditioning program, but I didn't have those results because I'm not those amazing freak athletes. I'm some genetic trash can D3 (laughs) all-star from Katy, Texas. And like, I I actually ended up uh, probably less than 10 years later doing an internship for Mad Dog, but um, it was the it learned a lot about athlete life cycle and applying the appropriate program at the appropriate time. Yeah, and that certainly was not what, what we should have been doing then. Right. So um, was that kind of just beating you into the ground, or what? What was the scenario in which it was too much? Uh, it was it was too much. It was too much weightlifting and not enough essentially speed and agility work. Mm-hmm. So Mad Dog, how his program and my friend was offensive lineman. So I didn't also didn't understand different positions need different training and demands. Right. It was just football mm-hmm. or just this type of training. So I was doing offensive line program. So it was no change of direction, the agility that I needed mm-hmm. as a lacrosse midfielder. Um <laughs> Yeah, and just not moving well. Mm-hmm. I, I never, fortunately, didn't end up getting getting hurt on the program. Yeah, I did break my leg and practice that freshman year, but that was for from a contact injury. Um, but the yeah, the training didn't hurt me. It just didn't yeah. allow me to succeed as best as I could have. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun though, man. <laughs> For sure. So what what type of numbers were you putting up kind of freshman year into the 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 training? Do you remember any of those? Uh yeah, squatted 405 for in like running shoes and that's a, I mean, was just a I suppose jaw dropping for the, the 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 people around me. I don't know if yes. that encouraged. Uh I overly valued the bench press. Mm-hmm. So and yeah, got three three wheels, so three fifteen wow. at that time. Yeah, but uh, I also and there's a lot of lessons learned within my athletic career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, can't remember which year, but then in lacrosse, I was getting played defense, getting back down towards a goal mm-hmm. by uh, a bigger bigger dude. But at the same time, I was certainly strong enough to not get overpowered. Yeah, but he he overpowered me. And scored like a slam dunk goal on my goalie, and my goalie was an All American. So I was very fortunate to have such a talented player to you know, make up for my lack of ability. But yeah, let, 
let a goal in very close. I shouldn't have. And he grabbed me by the face mask and he shook it and said, I, I, I've seen you bench 315 pounds. Get this guy off of me and like pushes, pushes me out of his face. Yeah. Uh, so I, my mentality was okay. I need more. I need to get stronger. I need more work. And you do this. Uh, but no matter what I was doing within the, the weight room and trying, I was still outrun, overpowered uh, at times. And just to, there was still a disconnect for me, my playing career from my hard work wasn't translating or transferring right. what I needed it to in, in performance mm-hmm. on the field. For sure. So you, you mentioned, you said you broke your leg. Oh yeah. So that was, um, that was, uh, two weeks before our first game, my freshman year and, uh, hit a kid and stepped on him and just twist my ankle and, and fractured my fibula. Um, so I had to get cast pretty painful. Oh yeah. It was probably the most pain I've ever been in through. Well, actually the second most I've been through in my entire life. The, First most was that night. So my cheap D3 school, I'll, I'll call them out for this. They didn't have crutches in the athletic training room. So my athletic trainer, when I broke my leg and I tried to get up, I didn't realize what the hell was going on uh, and try to walk it off, but it was a freaking broken ankle. My athletic trainer had to open up the ice bucket, take her lunch and sandwich out of the ice <laughs> and then make like a bag of ice to put on my ankle. Uh, I go and I, we can't go to the, the emergency room for who knows what reason to like get an x-ray or get this casted that day of the break. So they give me wooden crutches. I don't know where they got it. I think it was from like the school nurse versus having in the athletic training room. So I um, maybe pushing 190 uh, kid at this point and I'm wooden crutching. Perfect. On the concrete in front of like there's there's I won't call it a bar because it's on campus, but yeah. like a, a student calf cafe mm-hmm. and they put on like comedy shows or show movies, but it's this big open window venue that's indoor. And so I'm crutching along, like going past this cafe and my freaking fat ass, I break the wooden crutches and fall on my broken ankle, foot, leg. And it's just in an ace bandage. I haven't got a cast. Oh, no. So that that radiating broken bone, I could like feel the crack and the blood. It was, it was bad. So my foot is all now scraped up. My freaking uh, foot is bigger than a, a freaking like bigger than a softball for sure. And just there's nothing you could do at that point you just got to eat the pain yeah um so i ended up missing my freshman year and was able to take a red shirt into grad school at the tail end of that but Mm -hmm. i was fortunate i was fortunate to sit i'll be honest because it forced me to learn how to play lacrosse okay you i would i would certainly just to try to run into people and make mistakes going full speed but now it forced me to slow down and understand schemes offense defense uh transition so i was able to to actually slow down and learn versus um you know almost wasting a year on the bench just not being good enough to catch and throw and play at the the level 
that the team needed me to. Yeah. So, we're, so you're, you're doing that freshman year and you did one class of psychology and then didn't make it to business. What, what was kind of the next move there? It was, it was taking on health, health sciences. Okay. And that, that was the education track, but a really, I I was still was not the best student, but I was able to unlock uh, a passion for learning and learning how to learn actually through grad school because I went into health behavior, the health behavior change. Okay. So combined the, the psychology and what was appealing in that respect to the health uh, education that I was getting. So it actually through grad school, through breaking my leg, only reason I freaking went to grad school was to get one more year Okay, and actually then found out how to actually learn. That was more, I guess, my discussion, conversation, arguing approach at learning versus being told what to do. Yeah, uh, More my style at the grad school level was really able to unlock that, um, I mean, passion for learning mm-hmm. truly and, and how to how to communicate, how to teach, how to assess, evaluate, and then write a program, whether it's for behavior, whether it's for uh, strength and conditioning. I had no formal strength and conditioning education, mm-hmm. um, but that I learned how to then learn that stuff after school, but then apply the psychology, the behavior to then mix it all together at this stage in yeah. the game. So what, and, uh, what do you think you were able to kind of turn that mindset around? Was it a teacher? Was it a coach? Or it was just everything was kind of adding up to this kind of change? I, everything adding up. At this, this stage, I was, um, I had, had a job. I was a personal trainer into a, a uh, I forget the formal term, but basically like the, this Globo gym that I was working for, it wasn't Golds. It was still small school, but the same same setup as Golds. Right. You have a personal training department. I was a trainer uh, through a couple of years of college and then got a promotion into this assistant that included a sales. So new members of the gym sign up and then they, all right, you get 30-minute assessment with this dude. And then yeah. they'll try to sit down with you and show you all these different packages, blah, blah, blah. So that led me to the opportunity i was still playing at this point with my career the athletic career but now i had to learn this new skill i'm certainly was not a still not a salesman but you're honest with people like hey man this is what i'm seeing you are terrible at this or you need this yeah uh, so it was forced me into a position to apply actively what i was experiencing in in school mm-hmm so rather than just talking and discussing theory, I was able to uh, practice, apply it, and then find a way to communicate it in my words that then led to actual changes in right. behavior. And that's, that was, I mean, pretty impactful that you were forced to, I mean, I bullshitted my way through the first internship to get the undergrad. Yeah. Now I was forced to actually have a job where I'm applying these tools. Mm -hmm. And the more I learned through school, the more I could, the better I was at selling and promoting and pushing these people towards these different packages that ended up, I mean, ultimately that led me to my career now because it afforded me as a a grad student to go and and take John Wellborn's CrossFit football class at Mm -hmm. the time. And then, um, 
then really take the next step to yeah. performance rather than just health. Yeah. As as far as the sales and stuff goes, did did people seem receptive? Because usually I've been in those sales types of situations. I go to a lifetime and I'm just looking for like a week free because I'm visiting out of state and they're, yeah. they're they're trying to sell me on this, this, and this. But it seems that your approach was a little bit different in way it was actually pointing out from their point of view and and kind of move forward on that. Yes, that it was, and I, I I meditate on this a lot because we're getting more into where power athlete and cross football that was performance. We're exploring more in the the health, the fitness, and the behavior side of things again now. Yeah. So I reflected on this time that I was connecting with these personal trainer client potential clients, and the what I was doing at first and would not succeed is the same mistakes I would make in school and trying to get these guys to train with me. I was trying to get them to see movement and the benefit of weightlifting and the connection to the field. Like I saw it, yeah. but I had a different background, different experience, different understanding of this. And I was trying to force my understanding down their throat and then frustrated yeah. as a, as a captain and a leader, why don't you want this as much as I do? And that, I mean, that was my first real opportunity to lead, um, but that was that was impactful. And now I'm in a, a position where I need to succeed here because of livelihood and mm -hmm. rent uh, versus just, you know, fun gains. Right. Um, now I've had this revelation essentially that instead of getting them to see it like I see it, ask questions, communicate, okay, where, what's your experience, how long you've been doing this? What injuries, why are you peaking at interest right now versus so on and so forth and gain as much data as I can from them to then see it from their point of view and bridge the gap, not force my understanding and value of health down their throat. Right. No. Okay. How do you see a benefit here of now taking on training and education and empowering yourself mm -hmm. and then bridge that gap and try to get them as close to my perspective as possible yeah. Right. But they never will be. But at the same time, I'm not just feeding them what they want to hear to make a sell. It's actually aiming to change their behavior. So they develop a high quality relationship with movement and fitness that will then change their life. Mm -hmm. So while I was only successful with a handful of clients that continued to train and move, whether they moved away from the city. Yeah. Um, What's cool thing is I'm still in contact with them now. That's true wow. life and behavior change. Um, and you're seeing mothers that get into training and fitness to get back to who they were before one kid one or two. Mm -hmm. And then now they're seeing the value and then their kids start to see the value and connection to right. health and movement because we were able to communicate how they saw it versus force feeding how I saw it. So there, there were hits and there were misses at that stage of the game and a lot of reflection to realize and understand what, why success with this person, why success with, or, or lack thereof with other clients. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of reflection on that of really thinking and deep diving and understanding the true connection between behavior and the value of movement. Mm -hmm. So when, when people would come in, say it was a 35, 40 year old, uh, 
ex-athlete and he's like, hey, I, I just kind of want to kind of get in shape, but he has some dings and whatnot. Um, are you trying to fit them into your kind of program that you learned through school or what type of movement practice are you putting people into? That At, at that time, uh, fortunately, I took the John Wellborn and Raphael Rees cross football. So I learned some diagnostic assessment tools Got it. that were geared towards speed, performance, and athleticism. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any speed, performance, and athleticism clients. I had okay. these general population folks. So I still applied those tools and then did my best to communicate and bridge the gap between that, um, between the the fitness. But then that's the beauty is where it is high functioning, high level, high speed. At the same time, if we're talking simple movement assessment, it doesn't matter what who you are or what you're training for. If we're focusing on that movement, it's just a hell of a lot more velocity, speed, and power and force yeah. with an athlete and a lot more importance if their livelihood relies on said performance mm-hmm. than it is if we're talking about the the mothers, for example, or people just aiming to introduce the barbell for the first time in their lives. Yeah. So the the women do, are just doing the barbell, not looking necessarily for to increase their 40 time. Uh, would you still have them be doing those athletic movements um, or how would you kind of encompass that? Yes, it it would be that, but it's not to the same. I wouldn't put the the same intensity, the level of power and force behind it. Mm-hmm. So how from our athleticism perspective at Power Athlete, how we view movement, there are seven foundational, fundamental movements that the body can do. All right. Four for the upper body and four, excuse me, three for the lower body. The four for the upper body, we have a vertical push paired with a vertical pull. Mm -hmm. Then we have a horizontal push like a bench press or a push-up paired with a horizontal pull, like a bent over row. So those are the four foundational movements for the upper body. Whether I'm working with uh, Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans quarterback, or you know, some, some woman who just came in for the first time, we're going to do all four of those foundational movements. Now moving to the lower body, I have a model. Do you use the video? What? Yeah. Do you use video? Okay, perfect. Because I have this model of hips. (laughs) Always. It's on our podcast desk. Uh, So I have my hip model here. And there are three actions that the hip, foundational movements that the hip can do. Or first, imagine my hip shelf here, and then there's a, an axis, so an imaginary line going through the side of my pelvis. Click my pen off. So now when my pelvis is rotating along this x-axis, mm-hmm. it's hinging, it's squatting, it's deadlifting, it's front squatting. So any variation that we label that we could put onto a movement along this x-axis, that's a hinge. That's yeah. a squat. So now... Anytime I'm Deshaun Watson, hell yeah, we're squatting. I'm just loading up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, for the mom, we're, hell yeah, we're squatting. We're loading up because we got to stress to progress, Mm -hmm. but it's just not to the intensity of Watson. Right. Now, sticking with my pelvis, and I have a Y axis of rotation. Imagine geometry, graph. You have your X axis, that horizontal line, and now Y axis, a vertical line. This is going to go through the top of my head, down through the center of my pelvis. 
my pelvis will rotate, twist along that y-axis, that vertical axis. Those, the action of the pelvis, are going to be my lunging. Mm -hmm. Like I'm stepping forward and lunging, my pelvis rotates. Then the final I have here, imagine now an axis, a z-axis. This is going to go through straight through my belt buckle. And then my pelvis is going to tilt to the left and the right, the iliac crest. Imagine your hip bones on the right and left are raising and lowering, much like I am marching. We're really getting my knees up in high knees or during a sprint. So those are the three fundamental foundational movements that your lower body can do. That's how we define movement. And now, whether if I'm working on athleticism, that's going to be stringing together these X, Y, and Z axes mm -hmm. at very high speeds, high velocities, and then in a reactive, expressive mode of movement. For my mom, I'm going to isolate the X. We're going to get really good at squatting. I'm going to isolate the Y, really good at lunging and stepping up. And then we're going to find different runs or or movement through space yeah. where they have the opportunity to connect all X, Y, and Z. It's inherent within sport. Mm -hmm. And now I need to make sure rather than only doing X axis movements, I'm going to expose her to the Y and the Z and then give her the opportunity to connect all of these. So when she starts to play and run around and chase her kiddos, she's prepared for that because we isolated these movements got really strong, and then gave her the opportunity to connect it all. Mm -hmm. Both equal athleticism. One is just a hell of a lot higher and cooler, honestly. I love watching Watson play football than the other, but they're both expressions yeah. of movement for those individual-specific goals. Mm. And I think a lot of people miss out on that when they go to the gym and they're just either training for aesthetics and be like, oh, I'm, I'm looking to be healthy, but that that's just looking on image, but a, a program such as yours that provides you athleticism for life, because like some people would be like, oh, I'm not an athlete. It's like, well, you're going to, you're going to have to walk. You're going to have to pick up your groceries, your kids. Like if you're playing with your kids, like I, my, my wife nannies and I go, um, like run around with them, play sports or whatever. Like you gotta, you gotta be able to do stuff. Like you can't just, oh yeah, <laughs> like it's a, you're an athlete. Uh huh. And, and, we can argue the importance of muscle mass and protecting the older you get, the more muscle mass you have, it protects your bones from mm -hmm. then injury. So you don't break your hip, blah, blah, blah. You're a better mover. Yep. You get more muscle mass. You can protect yourself. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned the Welburn and uh, CrossFit football at the time. Now, how did you uh, find this? Did they find you or where, where, where did that uh, come up? So the uh, following my, my athletic career into grad school where I played that extra year, I had one more year of school and was asked to become a grad assistant lacrosse coach okay. at, at this stage. And I remember the moment very clearly, like a, it's a spring sport. So I finished playing and then we had to hit the road recruiting during the summer for then a couple of years down the line, the classes I was recruiting and I'm sitting next to Notre Dame's defensive coordinator on the sideline at this one tournament in philadelphia and you know both both him and i are are taking notes in the same kid and he's asking me like you know what do you see blah 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 and then he's like yeah we're getting that guy so i'm like all right i'm in a pretty not good division three school <laughs> and i don't know how to evaluate 
kids because the kid I, I, I like and value is going to Notre Dame, who is one of the top, top five lacrosse programs. Uh, so then I, I went into that first year thinking, okay, well, then I'm going to I, – I didn't know how to view athletes. So I went to more tournaments, and then I realized, like, I don't understand lacrosse. I was recruiting kids that have been playing the sport longer than I have. At this point yeah. in my life, I've played for six years, and I'm recruiting kids that have an intuition to the game that I still haven't developed. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I make an impact – and I decided, what do I like to do? Lift weights, run fast, and play my sport. Yeah. So I'm going to take the responsibilities of lifting weights uh, because that's that's what I did with with my team. I'm going to teach now the whole team, not just who wants wants to. We're all going to do it. So I took on the responsibilities of a strength and conditioning coach for the the team. And my first session, I mentioned earlier, we don't have a weight room. We have a fitness center with one squat rack. We need upper body strength. So I got 40 dudes that this is September 2009 training and upper body strength. I ask all of us to kick up into a handstand. So wow. on our, yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> on the back, on the back field, we have this giant wall of concrete wall for playing wall ball and, and working on stick work. So we all kick up against this and one dude goes down and I run over because all I know is my Texas football coaching style, which is MF everybody, you know, you're all weak, blah, blah, blah. So I run up to, to MF this guy and he's like, I can't move my arm. And I'm like, oh, crap. So he goes and evaluates it and it turned out he tore his rotator cuff in September, the fall before his senior season. So I took away his last opportunity to play the sport none of us are going pro yeah way the last opportunity this kid had to play his sport this he was my former teammate he was still my friend but now he was my athlete yeah and i ruined his athletic career i ended it because i didn't know what the hell i was doing so september 2009 and i get on the internet and just start googling strength and conditioning performance coaches uh so then found John Wellborn and CrossFit football. Like I had heard of CrossFit through the, the personal training ranks and yeah. gig, but I, don't, I didn't understand it. Uh, I didn't know what the hell, but it was, um, he had a course to teach. I, I wasn't, I, I needed information. So while at the time I did not sit for the CSCS and the NSCA, I just needed information to start applying because I was working with these kids now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fortunately, through that personal training gig, I had enough cash to then literally spend my last dollar to fly out to California to attend the fifth ever cross football seminar. And 24-year-old kids sit in the front row, Raf, well-born, and just crack the bone and literally suck the life out of that experience. And it was my first true exposure to strength and conditioning. Okay. Before it was just weightlifting or, hey, do this program, but it wasn't coaching. It wasn't designing programs based off sport demands, Mm -hmm. just weightlifting for whatever that I like to do. Now it was specific to identify a limitation or a hole in an athlete and then look at the demands of the sport. 
how far away is the athlete from successful demands? And now we got to write a program to lead them to the promised land. Mm -hmm. So I fortunately at that stage got exposed. It was two days. It was intense. It was awesome. Um, and my, my moment was Wellborn asked the, the group it was about 40 people within this audience. It was in Oakland, California in December of 2009. And he asked the, the audience if like, what are the three muscle contractions? Mm -hmm. Like a basic question. And I'm looking around like still shy, nervous kid and nobody has their hands up. Not sure if they're nervous and they don't know. So I just raised my hand and then calls on me and I drop concentric, eccentric, isometric and right. And then keeps on going within his lecture. So I was like, uh, do what are these people doing here? Like, are they not there for coaching? Are they there for their selfish own reason, like performance, yeah. not knowing anything. And then getting these programs and I'm able to take them back to division three athletes. Mm-hmm that I understand they're coming. This is their first, a lot of their first exposure to barbell training. Yeah. If you didn't play football, there's a high likelihood that you didn't lift weights. If you're a high school athlete student and then coming to uh, play college sport. Yeah. So I was their first exposure to the barbell movements and it, that I spent three years as the assistant coach and very grateful because it, I learned how to coach. These were not good athletes. Yeah. They just got the opportunity to play some college ball. So just telling them exactly what to do <clears throat> wasn't working. So how do, can I find different ways to say this right. to get, get them to execute what's in my head? And that three years of writing my own program, communicating it to these athletes that I understood, but I had the beauty is I had the, the field practice. Right. So I was able to take the weight room and then connect it to sport practice mm -hmm. and then finding ways to communicate the sport into the weight room and eventually the weight room into the sport, which paid off huge dividends when I had to go and got hired by John to teach said seminar mm -hmm. was finding connections within the, the sport to then communicate and express movement for these athletes. So, so of, of those three years, what type of uh, progress or did you see out of the athletes when you kind of added in your, your system to their training? Uh, man, I, I can't recall one or one or two individuals that really turned into men. But other than that, it, it wasn't translating to the field okay. as much as we'd like to. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I did realize that I was a hell of a lot better strength coach yeah. than I was a sport coach. We, we were not successful on the field during those three years. And it, but it did create the opportunity for me to jump across the river, the Potomac, to Georgetown University and become an assistant strength coach at Georgetown. Okay. And that, that paired up well with I was hired by John at this point to he remembered me answering really? the muscle contraction question. Yep. And then yeah, I was hired to start just helping out along the East Coast. And the better you do, the more responsibilities you get. So during the week, I was able to apply, communicate, and coach with Division One athletes mm -hmm. and travel along the seminar and use those experiences to teach primarily a lot of CrossFit coaches who are mm -hmm. fitness-based 
how to prepare an athlete for the demands of the field, the court, and so on. So it was yeah, it was all teaching communication, but it was a fortunate opportunity to then the 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 value of the seminar. We were able to assess. So I taught over a hundred. We're talking twenty to forty, even sometimes sixty people. Wow. We we're able to assess, and you recall it like it was sixty minutes of assessments. Oh yeah. A few times a day. And we're able to call out people. And then where a college coach, you have your your team of 15 basketball players or your your team of 40 lacrosse athletes. And then they're yours. Mm -hmm. You take them and develop them for four years. We're meeting people and assessing them. So I was able to assess over a thousand athletes and put them through this system of teaching movement, assessing movement, and then coaching movement along six different continents, a hundred different seminars and thousands of athletes that really accelerated my understanding and development as a coach, as a communicator. Mm -hmm. So just, just getting in those reps. So it was three years and then John contacts you is, did, did he bring you into HQ as far as like, Hey, we need these kind of resources or he taught you some more stuff or what, how did that go as far as the time you get that call or email? And a trial by fire. Yeah. So Luke Luke got hired in 2010. Okay. So Luke is the the COO at Power Athlete, uh, chief of operations, and he got hired in 2010 to start running and managing John's gym, CrossFit Balboa. Mm -hmm. He had to earn John's respect to start leading and teaching the opportunity uh, to travel and and connect through CrossFit football. So one of his ways to expand the the company the business of power athlete at the time was a a traveling uh competition which was the it was called occupy strength at the time so hashtag occupy strength there's some cool footage from way back in 2012 yeah way back then so i was still coaching at university at this point and then i was managing a gym so the personal training assistant director job eventually while still coaching and going to school led to wow. now general manager at a gym in DC that's still there. Mm -hmm. So one of the balance gyms for any DC folks, but then, uh, managing with Cali. So anyone of power athlete recognition of Cali, Cal and I've known each other for over 10, 10 years, but we worked together at this gym and we were running the, the CrossFit football style group fitness class, right. strength and conditioning facility. And then Luke put on this competition, this contest, and that came to Baltimore. So we brought about 30 athletes from our gym. There was maybe 80 at the competition. So we were, we're pushing, I don't know the number, 35% of the competition was rocking these <laughs> specific, unique t-shirts for our I used to make fun of CrossFit a lot. Um, a lot of people now, do. <laughs> yeah. But back then, like it was big time school crossbones and all that toughness nonsense. And to make fun of it, we were we were in in uh, a part of DC that is Dupont Circle. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of activities on Pride Weekend. I'll okay. just say that. Yep. So then our our gym's t-shirt was rainbows and unicorns like before it was cool. Yeah. 
but we were making fun of skulls and crossbones. So you had these purple t-shirt, this wave of purple. I called it PR pull, like PR, like you got to wait, wait PR. Yep. We had this purple wave through this competition that, okay, now Luke will remember like who we are. We got an East Coast crew to rely on. And then shortly thereafter, they put out a call to arms for they were looking to hire two coaches anywhere in the U.S. for CrossFit football. Mm-hmm. Callie and I apply. We're administering that training system at our facility and then showed like they remembered our name. We were, were memorable yeah. at this competition. And shortly thereafter, got the, got the call, got the opportunity to then interview. Mm-hmm. And the interview, it, uh, there was a CrossFit football seminar in Philadelphia. This was July 2012. And Callie and I drove up from D.C., probably about three hours. And then uh, we attended the seminar on Saturday and assisted, coached. So a very big group, but we got to own a squat rack and coach some athletes and just show that we were, we were, were worth a damn as, yeah. as teachers. And then that, that Saturday night, we got to interview with John. This is in Philadelphia. Wellborn played for the Eagles uh, for five years, from 1999 to 2004 or five, mm-hmm. uh, before their Super Bowl run. He missed out on that, but then the three NFC championships. So he knows the city like the back of his hand. And Callie and I have to follow them. And our interview was going cheesesteak place to cheesesteak place. So we went to Tony Luke's, Pat's, uh, Geno's, and one more. And so we crushed four cheesesteaks within a two-hour window and are chasing John through the streets of Philadelphia. He's not stopping at stop signs. I learned this, that stop sign in Philadelphia stands for stop to observe police, <laughs> not stop. Or, or slow down, like slow to observe yeah. police, not stop. So he's going through all these back roads. And Callie and I are thinking this whole time, uh, what the, is this a test? So we... <laughs> are parking illegally like he doesn't give a damn that we're even there he's just going through his own philadelphia experience and we crush and i i mean this is like the boom of paleo yeah health and nutrition blah 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 and we're like crushing four cheesesteaks and callie who's uh you know not as big as me like she she can't even eat anymore she's stuffed to the gills and we're drinking yinglings like uh, so are you guys are you guys talking like while you're ordering or is yeah. it kind of just like a food race where you just got to catch like uh, how did it, that even it, start? It was a it, it was this is how John operates is just checking for a culture fit. Like he he feels he can teach anybody anything <laughs> as long as he can hang out and they, they pass the layover test layover yeah. test. Like if you're stuck in an airport for 10 hours with this person, can I stand it? So we were going through essentially a cultural assessment in the streets of Philadelphia, like all postured up and trying to be proper. Yeah. And he's just trying to check for cool. So, I mean, that, that, then like, that was it. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then, I mean, we then continued to drink some beers and he had a, a military pal that was with him. So then this this pal is then putting us through different like leadership questions and tests. And so we get the watchful eye of his, his, mil- his longtime military friend. And Luke 
and John. So it was like a mixture of all these different questions from left, right, yeah. center field, all over the place as we're parking illegally and speeding through Philadelphia. And that eventually led to opportunity. Uh, Callie got asked to move out to California to then assist at Balboa and take on more responsibilities, teaching the seminar. And then I was the East coast swing. So this is when I got on at Georgetown. Mm -hmm. So weekends I was traveling for, for John and then training athletes during the week, which that, that in itself was an interesting experience. This is 2012 till, till 16. And at the time, uh, NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and CrossFit, they were at they were at each other's throats. Yeah. So it was a uh, very public, very costly for both organizations, and I was I was essentially stuck in the middle of it, um, not legally but socially because my weekly job I was going and working with. NSC, NSCA certified. I had I had my CSCS. Yeah. And I was working with these college coaches on their high horse poo-pooing on CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And then on weekends, I had to go and travel. Put on and, your cape. <laughs> yeah, put on the cape. And this is where, like during the week, my I guess my my God given name is Chris. So during the week I was coach Chris McQuilkin. And then on the weekends, like text all over the world. And, you know, put on the, the, the coach mode. So it was an interesting, mm -hmm. and they, like the, these two groups of people that I was working with and just trying to talk about weightlifting and speed and sprinting right. hated each other. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, we're just talking about lifting weights. Calm down. Yeah. Um, so that, that was interesting in itself. And you just learned to, okay, let's just let strength, movement, performance, do the talking versus our beliefs. You know, let's talk about ideas, right? Not how emotional you can get over something. For that, sure. So, so for the people not in the field, obviously strength and conditioning been around for a while, and then CrossFit uh -huh. kind of pops up. So, what what were the two sides kind of getting at each other with? Because I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, CrossFit, you just do a bunch of reps, rhabdo, pukey the clown." Like, hey, this stuff is not good for you. So, what what was kind of your what you were seeing out there? Well, from the the college strength coach that they viewed themselves as professional coaches. All right, we are technicians. We are uh, very focused on quality of movement and writing this perfect program to then make this person stronger. Yeah. Then you have a, a counterculture movement of CrossFit that was okay. We're going to do a lot of reps fast. And sometimes quality was there. Sometimes who gives a damn? Just move faster. Yep. And go, go heavier. Or they're they're pushing weights that maybe people were not strong enough to execute for the amount of reps that they were required to do mm -hmm. for for a workout that day. So then their technique was not looking good. And then they'd post about it socially and really put some proof out there and share it with the world. Yeah. And then you had the college coaches that were not happy about that. So they, uh, I mean, give it up for CrossFit's marketing, for finding a way to make barbells popular again. Good yeah. on them for that. And then in respect to the college coaches, I got a newsflash. All of you were doing CrossFit too. Anytime that you paired two movements, 
and supersetted things or did accessory work. Mm-hmm. Guess what? CrossFit is just accessory work with a clock yeah. or a time limit. So, I mean, it's, it's movement. It's all fitness. It's all there for health and performance. Mm-hmm. And it, I think there's a lot of jealousy thrown both ways that I feel was inappropriate or misapplied mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. And potentially cost a lot of people, a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. from being, for being a negative person. Yeah. And, and I would, I would say that goes with a lot of things. You can even go politics. Like most people either have to be on this side or have to be on this side. When in reality, you can't be all terrible. Like it can't, it can't be all that bad. Like we're doing fine <laughs> as, yeah. as far as most things goes. Like most people are usually in the middle ground. Um, so you're, you're teaching on, um, the coast, um, where, where does the kind of, um, CrossFit football to, um, to where it is now, how did that kind of process take place? In great question in 2016 power athlete, we may or may not have posted something on social media that upset the, uh, powers that be at CrossFit and a rift started to to form between the two. Yeah. So how, how CrossFit operated, and I feel I'm in a position to say this, during their specialty seminars. So they have a level one uh, certificate, mm-hmm. and then they have a, a level two coaches course, and then a level three certification. Mm-hmm. So their certification at level three is an accredited test that you take, and then you become a certified CrossFit coach. The certificate is you take this course, you get a certificate of, um, you do take a test, but you get a certificate. It's a certificate course versus a formalized certification, two different instances that Mm -hmm. I feel are important distinctions. And then their specialty courses, CrossFit football would be a specialty course, CrossFit weightlifting, um, CrossFit gymnastics. These are specialty courses. How gymnastics and weight Olympic weightlifting with Coach B worked and operated, they were pieces of CrossFit's methodology. Okay. So within CrossFit Level 1, they touch on Olympic weightlifting. They touch on gymnastics, and you get the opportunity to see how these modalities fit into types of programs and workouts and can all come together for your CrossFit training and your, your sport of fitness. Now for CrossFit football and eventually power athlete here, we were, we were discussing and training and teaching a separate methodology. Mm -hmm. We were training field and court sport athletes. We used the common vernacular within CrossFit to then help CrossFit coaches program properly to not take away or, uh, hurt these field sport athletes. So we use as primal movements, as I presented earlier, to then frame a strength template to increase the strength. Then we provided guidelines to then rein back on the conditioning Mm -hmm. because guess what practice is? Practice is a form of conditioning that's preparing for game day. Mm -hmm. We didn't want our our micro gyms to get these high school kids in there and then over condition them, potentially leading to some uh, overuse injuries or rhabdo. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We didn't want them to take away from the opportunity that these kids had. Right. So we taught them strength programming paired with conditioning, accessory work that helped and sprint training as well that helped really express and unlock athleticism for when they do step into the sporting arena, their opportunity and chances increase and improve based off their training. So we are training for this sport. Mm-hmm. That's how we viewed it. So that was the two days to provide assessment tools. So we looked at, we gave you a system to analyze the demands of sport. We gave you assessment tools to really look at your athlete. And then we gave you programming to bridge that gap between where your athlete currently is and their abilities as the assessment and where they needed to be for those demands. So that was two days of, of freaking drinking from a fire hose of a whole different methodology yeah. than was taught at the level one, two, and three test. Yeah, I, I remember because I, I took the level one and then I was like, hey, like I'm in. And then I saw the CrossFit football was in, I think it was in, not Jacksonville, but it was somewhere down in Florida. And I was like... This is this is a little bit this is a little bit different. I I <laughs> my I think my uh, deadlift I think it was like one eighty five or something like that when I went and saw you guys because I saw some of the pre pre stuff and what we were going to focus on, and then what you guys were talking about was like, hey, if you, if you want to gain size and stuff like this, it's, we're gonna just we're gonna be drinking milk and we're gonna be moving up yeah. <laughs> on this direction. And I it was maybe a couple of months earlier I was at. Uh, just the the regular CrossFit class, and it's like, okay, this is the paleo, and we're going to be eating these squares. And I was, this is a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit, but two different training goals and responses, and both require two different methodologies. Mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with the the fitness wave and the boom that the level one presented. Cool. If it got people excited to move and train and make behavior changes right. for their diet, for their social circles. Awesome. I'm all for that. But you can't tell me that that system and methodology and approach is going to help a high school kid put on the size, the strength, and especially the speed. Mm -hmm. Because if we talk about speed, you need to sprint fast in order to get fast versus a recovery run of 200 yards that's programmed in that, that methodology. So two different views on preparing and training, but ours is very focused on the athlete yeah. at that time, that course versus a general physical preparedness. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong, but then there, are, there needs to be a line in the sand. So then where weightlifting and gymnastics courses helped empower and, and, and put coaches in a line to enhance yeah. their ability to teach within the CrossFit methodology, ours was just teaching coach improving coaches ability to coach and then program when they get the athlete in the door Mm -hmm. because we didn't want them to waste and squander that opportunity um from a business perspective on their part and the kids perspective um so that was now we get to a point where uh the certification they got accredited and then these specialty courses now needed to support the accreditation and our teaching a system and methodology was not in line with the accredited education. Mm-hmm. So there needed to be a, a change. And that was our chance or opportunity to focus on 
empowering performance and, and, and teaching coaches and improving their ability to communicate, coach, assess, and do all the things that we do well without the uh, making the connection to the CrossFit methodology. Right. So now we have our specific outlines and courses, and we have very uh, specific online courses for specific coach needs out there. And uh, that's, that's where we are right now. So our, our business is online training. So we have 12 different training programs. There are 12 fitness goals, training goals that we've identified. Mm-hmm. And we reverse engineer online training from those goals to then put you in a position to reach them. Mm-hmm. And then also the branch is coaches education. So where we cannot travel to teach seminars at the moment, yeah, we've, we've shifted our gears to online training and, and coach education. So take, making the most of the opportunities that we have to empower the explosion of the garage gym mm-hmm. at the same time, parents, coaches, business owners to empower any athlete's performance, no matter what goal they have, that they get the opportunity to coach. Yeah. Now, it's something I, I wanted to ask because I, I still remember this from, from training with you guys, um, fo- focused on uh, linear progression. And I, I think mm-hmm. younger younger athletes um, that, that kind of get in get into the gym, they're, they're starting to run like periodization and all those uh, fancy programs and especially like on TikTok and whatnot. Um, huh. but, but, but if you, if I, uh, am wrong, let me know. But what for bench, it was a one by five and you added 10 pounds every week. And then for bench, it was two and or sorry, deadlift was 10 pounds. Bench was two and a half and squat was five pounds each week. Um, what was the kind of, uh, where did you guys uh, bring that information from or knowledge piece? This yeah, this was from the start of CrossFit football, mm-hmm. and John sought the the guidance, the advice from Ripito, who was the start the was the starter of starting strength. Okay, two different goals, however, where Ripito's is to put you on a program. It it, it is a linear progression. Yeah, that for first time barbell users that does get you strong. Mm-hmm. Now again, we're working with field court sport athletes. So we have a linear progression that's based one week at a time that includes sprinting. And that's the X factor. Yeah. Because now imagine a 13 to a 22 year old, they are still growing. Mm -hmm. So they're on this linear progression. And then as they develop the musculature, the muscle mass, they need to coordinate it. So we pair that twice a week with sprints Mm -hmm. and that allows you to then coordinate your new muscle so that it can be used. And that's where we get these amazing heavy athletes that are still fast. Right. And uh, I'll send you, I'll shoot you a link. I have a, a NSCA actual presentation. I presented on this awesome. uh, program at one of their conferences and it's one week. Monday is going to be intensity sprints, meaning you're running as fast as you flip and can for four to seven reps and resting as needed mm-hmm. between each. Following that sprint, you head into the weight room and you do squats, working sets, three sets of five reps, straight sets across, and then you pair that with a vertical press. Three, three by five straight sets. Tuesday, you come in and then you deadlift 
one set, one working set of mm-hmm. five reps. And then on uh, still Tuesday, you pair that with a vertical pull. So three sets of max pull-ups and then our lunge. So that's the strength portion. You can add some conditioning. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesday, we're taking off from the weight room, but you can sport practice. You can come in and do whatever the hell you want. But Thursday, then you come in and we're back to the squat. Yeah. So it'll be the day leading with the squat, three sets, five reps, and we're going to add five pounds to what we did on Monday. Then after the squat, we're going to horizontal press, three sets, five reps on the bench press. And then our, then we're going to do volume running. Mm-hmm. So where one's for speed, now this is an opportunity for conditioning. I, uh, I'll send you another article that I wrote on the purpose of conditioning. Mm-hmm. Purpose of running conditioning is going to be challenge our running and sprint technique under fatigue. So now we're instead of resting as needed, like I did on Monday, I got short work to rest ratios. Mm-hmm. Can, we can say four to one, three to one. So if it takes me 30 seconds to run that sprint, I'm going to rest 60 seconds. Yeah. And then I'm back at it again to challenge my sprinting technique. So that'd be an example of a volume conditioning run to challenge technique versus just get improve my conditioning. Right. That's a loose purpose. And finally, Friday, we're going to power clean. Instead of three sets of five, we do five sets of three. Since our this is more a neurologically technique demanding, we don't want to do five in a row because mm-hmm. then our reps start to look ugly. Right. Pair that with chin-ups, so we reverse our grip on our, our vertical pull, and finally, our step up. So we're hitting all of our foundational, our primal movement patterns each week. Then the next week, I'm squatting plus 5 pounds, pressing plus 2.5. Yeah. Deadlift, I'm adding 10. And it's the same cycle of the week over and over again. You keep it interesting through your enthusiasm, your coaching, your warm-ups, your different mm-hmm. warm-ups your different accessory work and conditioning, but it is the program lasts anywhere from 16 to 22 weeks, adding 10 total pounds to your squat and deadlift per week. And if we hit it during that 16 to 22 year old kid, then yes, you put on 200 pounds within your deadlift over that 20 weeks. There are resets built in and Mm -hmm. that's explained on the the presentation. I'll give you the link up, but, um, yeah, man, it's simple. It works. And the, the X factor, which people neglect, is going to be the speed, the sprint yeah. work. No, absolutely. And I was, I think I was playing soccer two or three times a week, basketball, would rug, rugby as well at the same time. But my uh, deadlift went from, it was either 185 or 225 to 495. And that, Holy shit. <laughs> it, it went, it went really well. Um, <laughs> so I was, and I was just doing fives. Like uh, there was at no point where I was pulling a single and then it was max out week for our gym. And I just, just kept on putting on weight. Like it was going up quick. It was going like none of my reps where it was, I really grinding on until I got to 495 and I was like, Oh, okay. Like th- this is wonderful. This is, this is where we're at. And same with like my squat and everything of that nature, everything, um, like a lot of people when they first start, they're like, Oh, I'm working off my percentages and so on and so forth. But this was simple. I was, yeah. it was, it was great. Yeah. Percentages for uh, the fitness crowd or a teenager or female athletes. They don't, that's not the best approach. I won't mm-hmm. say they don't work, but that's not the best approach. Yeah. 
The reason being for teenagers is when they max out the one, they need a very high testosterone day and they need a lot of opportunities, a lot of reps to really find good one rep technique. Mm-hmm. So teenagers that then hit a one RM and then base their whole training summer off that one lift, yeah. they're missing out on a lot. Yeah. And for our females, as I said, testosterone, then males, we produce testosterone in the testes and the adrenals. Females only produce it in the adrenals, so it's not there. Mm-hmm. That testosterone allows that fight or flight expression of power and coordination for one, mm-hmm. and then we lose it, so on and so forth. That's why female athletes can then hit three rep max, five rep max, but anytime they attempt a one, that should be based off their percentage, they're going to miss. But here's a good test to prove me right. Go ahead, and I want you to find uh, a 1RM. Yeah. So work up to as much weight as you can do for one. and Fail if you have to. And then drop down to 80% of that one mm-hmm. and go for max reps. Males, we're going to fail probably about four, five, six. If I'm a slower endurance athlete, I'll probably break, get to eight. Mm-hmm. And then females, 20 Really? 20 plus. Oh, yeah. So just dropping 80% wide because they're more geared and built biologically yeah. for those endurance. And we are built for more closer to ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, we don't use percentages unless it's what we refer to in our programming as a weekly matrix. Okay. Meaning if on Monday you hit a three rep max, one RM, five RM, and then on Thursday, we come in, okay, we're going to take X Got amount of that lift, and we're going to do that for three fast, but mm-hmm. we want speed. So if it's within a week or two weeks, then it's still, it's still who you are and representative of your abilities versus testing in April, taking a month off, and then starting my summer conditioning program using my max outs from April. Right. Not going to work. So, so as you're doing all this coaching, running around and doing all that stuff, what is, what is your programming look like, uh, as far as fitness wise and then nutrition, what, what were you throwing in there as well? Uh, we, in 2014, we launched field strong. So that's our flagship power athlete program. And it is focused on unlocking where bedrock is that linear progression program I described Field strong is for a trained athletes for unlocking athleticism. And then I, I took on that in 2014, John's programming and was the guinea pig for a lot of our, our power or speed or, Hey, we, we just learned this. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and try to mess it up. Yeah. So for the past six years, working with John through field strong to then find out, Hey, this is a little bit too ambitious and crazy. Yeah. Or how are we going to make this work for a garage gym? That's also the other thing is there's amazing coaches and friends that we've come across. Like Cal Dietz is an amazing educational resource. Mm -hmm. You have to, if you're a coach, you have to take all of his information with a grain of salt because he's training 18 to 22-year-old athletes in college and he has spotters. Yes. Our population is the garage gym athlete who are giving a program. It's one person. And we assume they're training alone in their garage. So we don't give any fancy equipment. 
Got so it. we have to find ways to translate these cool coaches that we're learning that are doing amazing things mm-hmm. and translate it into garage gym. Okay. So can we do that? And that's that's a discovery process of each each morning at Power Athlete at 7 a.m. John, Luke, and I were all training together still wow. and exploring. Yeah, Luke's Luke's more of a grindstone program guy, which yeah. is you you choose your own adventure. So we offer up five, six, six different programming options now, mm-hmm. different training days, two primary strength, two accessory recommended, and then one optional day. And then you get to say, all right, I'm feeling a little lighter accessory day, or I'm feeling a cardio, extended cardio day, or I'm feeling good. Let's go ahead and load up that deadlift. So mm-hmm. you get to choose your own adventure. He's a new father and his COO has got a lot of stress. Uh, and then John and I are still in that discovery mode mm-hmm. in phase, which hell I'm all for. I, I need to keep on sprinting. I don't want to lose. And John's in that same mindset as a professional athlete. And now he's reaching, he's, he's 44 and his friends, he's going to hall of fame inductions and still seeing and connected with his former teammates. And he, he sees something that he's got to fight and continue to maintain, mm-hmm. uh, who 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 I, he identifies with as that athlete and not let the wheels fall off. So he's still going hard and fighting for that. So you got to give him up, give give it up for him in that respect. Is mm-hmm. and fit fit over forty, he could probably still suit up and, and beat some wholesale ass <laughs> for sure. So as as far as I hopefully a lot of, a lot of people on the podcast um, that some of the clients I deal with and whatnot, they're just kind of getting into their journey, and a mm-hmm. lot of them. Uh, the questions that they're asking themselves is, oh, am I going to work out today or not going to work out today? And when I'm talking to people such as yourself, usually the question is not necessarily if I'm going to, it's when I'm going to. So if you struggle <laughs> with working out or do you struggle with kind of getting into the gym or what what's kind of around that? Uh, me personally struggle? No. Okay. I've identified as an athlete my entire life and I... if yeah, if family's in my future, I, I in, aim to instill a culture of movement down the line. Mm-hmm. For the, the folks that are seeing this now, uh, write down your goal. Write it. It's got to be real. It's got to be written down. I don't want you to think about it and say, I, oh, I want this. Make it real by writing it down. And then put it up in your bathroom mirror. So the first thing you see, if you decide, all right, I'm training or I'm working out today, this morning, and then you make that decision at night the previous day and you wake up in the morning and you're not exactly as ambitious as you were the night before, that goal is still staring you in the face as an opportunity and you got to realize it is a decision. Just like when the alarm goes off, you have a decision to hit snooze or... You can empower yourself, and the first good choice that you have to make that day is to get out of bed and not hit snooze. Mm-hmm. And you wake up or you go and brush your teeth, and then it's your goal is staring you right in the face that you wrote down in your own handwriting, didn't type out and print it. You wrote it down. It is real, and you can make the decision. I would recommend before the craziness and the madness of the days, find a time to get fit in the morning, mm-hmm. and this could be 15 minutes of movement, or 60 minutes of working out, both are progressing towards your goal. Mm-hmm. So it is instilling the, the behavior of moving 
whether it's an intense 60 minute session, 45, so on, or just some light 15 where we're twisting, bending, walking, getting our chili hot. And you made that choice. So it is an empowering moment mm-hmm. to, to then rock and roll that you can transition and carry into the rest of your day. Absolutely. I love that. Um, and then as far as uh, nutrition goes, because I think a lot of people um, are really excited about diets. Um, but then when you go and talk to uh, people that are healthy, you, when generally when I ask them, I'm like, oh, what's the specific thing you're on? They're like, oh, I, I just eat. There's not a, like I'm weighing my food every day or there's not a specific like meal prep every Sunday. But what what is your uh, nutrition look like? We we bring our own meals to work. So once we get to the ranch for the workout at 7 a.m., we stay here all day mm-hmm. until until the job is done. So we are big on preparing our own food Got versus it. eating out. And that goes a long way, one, for being financially, uh, fiscally responsible. Yeah. And two, talking about food, how did you prepare this? And it becomes a part of my culture you you develop a sense of pride within the the ribs that you prepared the chicken and how you cooked it Mm -hmm. and then you can you can share that so where we we talk about goals i want you to think about vocal awareness i'm sharing the actions and the behaviors that i took to prepare this food with my social circles right whether you're you're working at an office bring your own and and i want you don't wait to be asked yeah share I had this recipe. Why don't you try this chicken that I prepared? Or mm-hmm. how do you prepare your chicken? So it's centered around uh, protein. And then, I mean, that's the most fun in my by extremely biased <laughs> opinion to cook and prepare and discuss. Yeah. So if your actions, your investment, your food prep time starts to become part of your conversations around the water cooler rather than, you know, last night's bachelorette you know it it becomes it becomes a part of you and you yes. can identify as a healthy individual versus just having a healthy meal right it's who you are and that's that is true behavior change mm-hmm. so what when you're when you're eating these meals do you enjoy them or it's more so you're just cooking them because you just you know that's kind of what you should be eating uh, I would say enjoying any of the beef or pork chicken, just kind of eating because I know. Yeah. So it, very lean option. So this week we're, this is Thanksgiving week. I'm going over to Luke's tomorrow for a, a feast. And I know in which I will enjoy some pies and yep. some drinks and just let loose and watch some football. So I had three days of chicken in a row here Mm -hmm. to put myself in a position to almost prepare to indulge and overeat on the fatty sides. But I would, my biggest suggestion would be to alternate finding different meats and realizing beef and pork are fattier. So if I'm tracking my, uh, my food consumption and protein included, I need to make sure that my fat is accounted for, uh, so that way I don't overeat on fats and then store too much there. Right. But also, man, start with protein and then reverse engineer. We recommend everyone start with a, a third. So 33% protein, 33% fat, 33% carb, and then adjust the, the fats and carbohydrates according to your 
fitness and activity level. Yeah. The one constant is always going to be that third protein. That's one or 1.5 grams per protein per pound body weight. Mm -hmm. That's the one constant that we have to maintain or gain muscle mass, lean muscle mass, and then moderate the, the, the fats and the carbohydrates according to activity level or hormones. I need more fat to supplement my sleep yeah, and so on and so forth. So any hormonal issues look to the fat consumption to see if those can be corrected through through food mm -hmm. i like it uh so if anybody is looking for uh coaching or training where would where would they find you guys at it simplest is going to be our website that's powerathletehq.com mm -hmm. and a nice little layout on our top scroll bar it's got our podcast it's got training and we have a little quiz in there. If you answer a handful of questions, we'll direct you towards the best workout selection. And this, they can be, I talked about the garage gym. It can be done in the garage or Globo gym, but it's a nice little, every single day, your program is delivered to your phone strength. Mm -hmm. And if you don't recognize a movement, we have a demo video and then coaching tips to go with it. Uh, and also blog, we have different, blog articles available out there a lot of our coaches uh, that are working with us they got complete creative freedom to write about whatever the hell they want to so whatever interests them it interests us and we put it out and give them the the voice to share yeah well so a grab bag of recipes coaching experiences and a lot of other good stuff mm -hmm. so who who would be not or I guess what who is your target market I guess who who do we have coming to you the what depends so we have the the small gym owner and personal trainer and parent for our coaching education if they want to empower and teach their their youth how to lift weights mm -hmm. we had a lot of those which is cool and then when it comes to our our training that is the young professional who has not gone they're they're giving up on the the gym program options that they have yeah and they want a trusted resource to write a program for them so they can plug and play and then within that we have a nice little communicate community associated with each of the training programs so that way people share lifting videos for critique they share and and talk trash to to one another if they see on the leaderboard similar scores in that respect so it's a, a community still, as CrossFit has, has demonstrated the value of, of community-based fitness. We just found a fun, creative way to do that virtually. Mm -hmm. So if training's in a rut or you found that life has gotten in the way of quality training and you need time uh, and a trusted resource, right. that's it. We also launched with all the gyms that shut down back in March and still, unfortunately, many are uh, on lockdown, like New York city and UK just got hit, uh, with a lockdown. We had a program called third monkey. Mm -hmm. And this was, if you had a single dumbbell or spend 50 bucks, go to home Depot, get yourself some concrete, a cinder block and provide specific programming for a $50 home gym. Mm -hmm. And it'll help you maintain your strength power and certainly increase your fitness because yeah. you get really creative with the different types of workouts out there. So again, 12 different programs for different fitness options, including lack of gym and 
Yeah, it's all there. And uh, the podcast is probably our best educational resource. And mm-hmm. we try to give it all away on that show. Yeah. Awesome. Well, the, the round it all out, the, the last two questions. Um, what is your definition of health? Not necessarily the dictionary definition, but what is it that, that you strive for? Uh, it, movement. I've said it a lot. Movement. Now, professionally, I would say athleticism. And we have a set definition for athleticism, the seamless and effortless combination of primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or a novel task. But as uh, my athletic career door has shut, it's been to maintain the limited movement that I have. So I see progress if I can maintain this 405 back squat from 34 now all the way up until I'm 54 and on. I feel that's not, I'm not losing anything and that's gaining. So still, still movement and then uh, still actively coaching lacrosse. So when I get the opportunity, I still suit up in the pads and I do not want to go down with an injury. Yeah. So still changing direction and training hard to protect myself versus performance. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then what is something from your life that you think uh, someone listening to the podcast can uh, benefit from uh, in their own? Great question. Wow. Um, let me see. No rush. That is a great question. I would say uh, just going back to the the high school experience that I shared where a coach decided our performance for us mm-hmm. and we refused. So we saw that as an opportunity where someone literally slammed the door in our face to then build our own house and grateful for that experience because it, it changed the trajectory lacrosse in itself where the, it, was, it was founded by Native Americans, Iroquois Nation, and the history of lacrosse is amazing. For anyone that's interested, Google it. But it is, a, it is the, the game of the gods. And then it, we, create, we created the opportunity through this sport that then changed the trajectory of my life and now allowed me to express my truth, which is movement, coaching, athleticism to others. And I couldn't have done it if I accepted what someone aimed to cage up and define my performance for me so don't yeah find your truth absolutely i love it so thank you for coming on the podcast cool man yeah i greatly greatly appreciate it it's a good week to relax and just chat it up with folks absolutely thank you so much for listening to today's episode follow body by bulb on instagram tiktok and youtube For more information on services, coaching, and free printables, head to bodybybulb.com. Please take the time to rate the podcast and subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes. Thanks so much.